beautiful home. And I don't know what it costs. And today's money might be like 700000 Beautiful home. They moved into this house. And after a couple of months, they started to see cracks about the size of a pinky going around all their drywall at the top. Right under, right under the, um, the uh, molding, they saw a crack. And they're like, well, that's weird. Maybe we should get the drywall guy to come and fix it. But as week went to week, month to month, year to year, the cracks got bigger and bigger. And, I mean, they got huge, like three or four fingers. And they're like, we're going to have to tear our house down. And so they, they tried to fix it. Like, how do we fix this problem? They called all these experts. Uh, and what they found out after a couple of years was it had nothing to do with the drywall at all. Whoever built that house, if you're the builder, sorry, you know it's true. Uh, whoever built that house, strangely enough, it's actually hard to believe, they only put um, footers on three of the four sidings. So if the house was being cut into a hill, on the top part, they did not put a, a, a cement um, footer, and they rested it just on hard, what they thought was hard ground. They, they did the cheap thing. It's actually illegal. You can't do that. This family went to Roanoke County and pulled the, the, tried to pull the paperwork to see who had approved their foundation. It was gone. Yeah, yeah. And so the bottom line is, in this house, it, it was going to take about $250,000 to fix the house because somebody didn't want to pour $150 worth of concrete on one side. They did not have a proper foundation, and it was a disaster. Paul's addressing the church in Corinth. Hey, he loves them. He started the church. 50 AD, which was only, what, uh, about 20 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, only about 20 years later, Paul founded the church in Corinth, and they thought they were somebody special. You know, you've seen the people, they just have a little spring in their step, they think they're special. You know, I'm from Richmond, or I'm from somewhere, or I went to UVA, or I went, they just think a little too highly of themselves. But w the Bible paints a picture of Corinth, they're like, Maybe the illustration would be homecoming queen or homecoming king, or maybe like a Miss America. They think they're something, but while they're being interviewed, they have spinach in all their teeth. <laughs> and and they, they've got this attitude like, I'm great. I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, you have spinach in, uh, hanging out of your mouth and your teeth. And the spinach, what was the spinach? What was the, the, the fault? What was the disconnect for this church that Paul loved that he had, you know, given his life poured out for this church to start. What was the main problem in the church? Division. 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 Jesus said I, in high priestly prayer, I pray that all, they will all be one. And I understand their temperaments. I understand their worship, you know, different styles. But really, we all want to be one in the gospel, in Jesus. And what were the other problems that Paul was addressing with the church? Again, this beautiful uh, beauty contestant or handsome man who had spinach in his teeth. I need a hearing aid, but what I would tell you is, not only is it division, the other big problem in the church was immorality. See, when you think you're, you're it, when you're above everybody, you're better than everybody, you're more spiritual than anybody, then you can justify doing whatever you want because you think somehow you're exempt. Any other problems in the church of Corinth? Did I miss any? Division, sexual immorality. Oh, they're getting drunk at communion. I mean, we just could go on and on. But the bottom line is there were a lot of problems there. And Paul is addressing, like, look, I've laid a foundation. 
the reason this church got started is because of Jesus. Okay, Jesus came as a sin offering for you guys. And he actually handed himself over to sinful men. He, he was tortured. He was put to death. He, he was actually buried. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. And he appeared to many people. And so, again, the foundation was Jesus, Jesus Christ. Let's go and look in verse 10. If you're in chapter 3, look in verse 10. So Paul starts out and he says, According to the grace of God given to me, I, like a um, skilled master builder, laid, I laid a foundation. Now, I don't know if this would be true for you guys, but when I started reading the Bible, I thought Paul was so egotistical. Did any of you guys have that thought when you started reading Scripture? You're like, he goes, as to the law, blameless. Right? A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as to the law, blameless. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm like, dude, could you have a bigger opinion of yourself? But then as I began to read all about Paul, and I read how much the man suffered. You know, he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He had the, 39, he had the 40 lashes minus one. He knew what it was to be cold and to be hungry, in danger in the country, in danger in the city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He, um, he actually was walking the talk. It's not really bragging if what you do is true, right? He was bold, but not egotistical, right? Bold, being bold doesn't mean you're an egotist. But he says, according to the grace given to me, I'm like a skilled master builder. Now, those of you who have ever played a violin or cello, you would know the greatest builder in the history of stringed instruments is Stradivarius. And for the three of you that follow bluegrass, you would know that bluegrass has its own Stradivarius. There was a man who worked for Gibson and Company, or for Gibson, uh, in the 20s, and his name was Lloyd Lore. You can Google that, Lloyd Lore. And every mandolin he made is worth between $150,000 and $250,000. They're all numbered. He was a master builder, the greatest in the history of mandolin, just like Stradivarius. And so what Paul's saying here is, because of God's grace... See, he really is saying, it's really all the Lord. It's not me. Because of what God did in and through me, right, I was able to plant this church and, and, and plant it on the faith and once delivered to the saints. It was all about Jesus, not about personalities. It's not about, it's not about Paul or Apollos or who planted or who gave the word or who watered the word. No, no. He says, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? They're nothing. It's only Christ. It's Christ. Christ is the center. Christ is the foundation. And so according to the grace of God, he said, I, I, I laid a foundation. He sure did. And we talked about that foundation. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ came as a sacrifice for sin. He was handed over to sinful men. He, he was brutally tortured. He, he had the most horrible death. He, he was buried. He was raised on the th third day, and then he appeared to all these different people, to Paul and uh, to all the apostles and to the women, more than 500. So that's the gospel. That is the faith delivered to the saints. It's the foundation. And Paul says, I laid that foundation. And he says, someone else is coming behind me to build on it. Well, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And that says that Paul's not egotistical. He understood. He was one part in the greater um, scheme, one part in the greater movement of God. His job was to plant this church. And he understood people would come behind him. Think about the church in Richmond. We prayed for years. Lord, we want to go to Richmond. I lived in that city for 20 years, and I didn't know Christ. 
And I thought they deserve to have um, a whole bunch of Bible teaching, evangelical churches where lost people can come. And eventually the Lord let us go there, and we picked a young guy right out of seminary to be our pastor. I had another one of our church planters call me, and he goes, why'd you pick that guy? Well, that made me feel good. <laughs> After 12 years of waiting and all this money and resources, I picked the guy that I felt the Lord wanted. And my other church planter goes, well, he's not very um, pizzazzy. He doesn't have a lot of, you know, he's not like the guy with the lampshade on his head that everybody wants to come around. And I'm like, that's exactly right. I didn't want the funny guy. I didn't want the guy that like is captivating you with his oratory or his winsomeness. I look at this man and I see how he's discipling his children. Grace and truth. I see how he's discipled the people that he's been around. I see the shalom and the peace in his house. And I'm like, that's the guy we want. I want somebody that's steady over 25, 35 years, not somebody who's a Roman candle. And so we picked Stephen, and he's just crushing it. He knows that Christ is the foundation. But we built the church knowing that somebody would come behind us. That was the plan all along. It wasn't about us. We go do our part, and God would bring others. And it's so fun to go back and see that church. But my prayer's always been, Lord, don't let them slip away. Don't let them uh, grab hold of another gospel. Don't let them exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so... We're, we're happy to say that they are doing great. We laid the foundation. Steve Breedlove and other leaders are building upon it. Paul says this. He says, that was the pattern. He goes, but as you guys invest in the body of Christ, because if it's just us with collars, the church is not going to be very effective. It's not going to go very far. It really does take a village to run the church. It does. We're a body with many parts. And he says, but as you're building, as you guys are investing your lives in the kingdom and investing your lives in the church, be careful how you build. Warning, Will Robinson. Warning. The tendency is you want to get away from blocking and tackling. I know that. I remember in middle school football, I always want to do the Statue of Liberty play. My coach goes, well, that's great one time, but you can't do it every play. We always want some fancy this and fancy that. Do you ever get annoyed with Billy Graham or maybe his, his uh, one of guys kind of taken over from him is Greg Laurie? And they always talk about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. And I'm like, yeah, dude, great. I've heard that story a million times. Could you talk about marriage and how to be fulfilled and how to be happy and how to deal with children? Da, 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 da. But they always talk about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. They keep always on the gospel. Keep the main thing the main thing. They lay that sure foundation. So he said, the, the warning to us all is, as a church, but also individually, take care how you build. Take care how you invest what the Lord's given you into his kingdom. And it pushes on. It says this. Uh, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones wood, hay, and straw. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. And so the, what the Lord is saying is, I've invited you guys to be part of what I'm doing. I don't have to do that. I could leave you bored. But I'm, I'm calling you to use the gifts and graces I've given you. So what are you going to lay on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus? 
Or you could be tempted to go to the left and want to just tickle people's ears, tell them nice things. Or are you going to go to the right and just get all rules-oriented? They're saying that keep the main thing, the main thing, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Take care how you build. And what they're saying here is your life matters. That's what I get from this. Your life matters. Your ministry matters. What you do for Christ or what you don't do for Christ actually matters. There's nobody hiding in the closet. I think when you come to church, we think it's much like the public library. They're just people that do all these things. Actually, y'all, we are the people that do all these things. We all use the gifts and graces God has given us. The question is, is it a priority? Are we using the gifts God gave us? Are we going to the left or to the right? They use the analogy here. You can build on the gospel. You can build on that foundation with what? What type of materials? Gold, silver, and precious stones. In other words, you can give the Lord your very best. See, I am so tempted now that I'm almost 64 and I have health issues and hip and shoulder and blah, 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 all that. Just to sit in front of the, the screen and watch Fox News or CNN or whatever I watch. And just do nothing for five hours a night but do that. Is that what I want to leave behind? When we got children all over our church and all over our city that don't have a mom or a dad, or certainly have no, nobody pouring into their lives, are we going to be content just sitting in front of a flat screen? Or are we using what the Lord has given us to build his kingdom? I'll tell you, I love sitting in front of the TV, in front of gas logs. I love that. But what I love more is seeing God move in somebody's life. And so the Lord's saying, hey, what you do for me actually matters. It does matter. I actually care how you live your life. And there's going to be a day in the brightness of my presence where everything's going to be disclosed. And for those of you who've not, who've not found a different gospel, who are investing what the Lord has given you, it says you're going to get a reward there's a doctrine of rewards. God is going to bless you, even as he's blessing you now as you work with him and walk with him for his kingdom. But for some of the rest of us, you may be saved. You may have your ticket. You may be punched. But on the day, on that day, in the light of his presence, will the Lord say to you, yeah, you're saved, but that's about it. Everything that you poured your time, your energy, your money in is going to be burned up like that. Would that not be the saddest thing? Imagine if you spent two years building a house and then overnight a wind came and just was gone. The Lord cares how we live. He cares how you use the gifts and graces. And he invites you to work with him and walk with him, preaching a foundation of Jesus Christ. On that day, everyone's work will become manifest. So here's a close. What kind of foundation have you built? How about for your children? Have you believed the truth or lie? Have you been seduced to think that what really is important for my kids is that they look good, they get well-educated, and they get a good job? I can tell you, friends, there are a lot of people that look good, and are educated and got a good job who are absolutely freaking miserable. The Lord calls us to invest what he's given us for his kingdom. 
There's no dress rehearsal. There's no second take. What you're doing now for the king is known and will be known. There will be a day where it will all be manifest. And my prayer for you and for me is that the Lord will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've invested your life where true riches are to be found. You've not been seduced to go over here with a different gospel or to chase fool's gold, but you've sought my kingdom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Quig. So you guys, uh, a week ago today, it was Sunday night. My wife and I were just kind of spending the evening alone together. And my phone started to blow up with notices that Clementine, the daughter of Mary Jen and Jeremy, the granddaughter of Joel and Anne Claire Shepherd, was in great distress that she had stopped breathing and had been rushed to the hospital. And within an hour of the initial flurry of texts, we got word that Clementine had passed. And this sweet little three-month-old girl had died in her mother's arms. And we were just so sad. There's just this kind of cloud just kind of crept over everything. And it wasn't only because Clementine had died, although that's tragedy enough in itself, but it's because this has been, I don't know if you have noticed this or how many of these you've been close to, but Church of the Holy Spirit is going through the most tragedies, the most lost lives, and indeed the most young lost lives that we've ever had in our entire history. We've had 11 people that are part of this community have died in the last several months. And we were just so sad. And the next day, Monday, um, as the word began to spread and we, you know, were coming to the office, there was just this cloud over the office of like, my goodness, like what kind of a world is this that's just so marked by pain and loss and suffering. Um, and I know that many of you have, been, have experienced that. Perhaps you have been close to some of these 11, or maybe it's none, none of the 11, but just life in this world. Or maybe for you, it was, it was earlier than just these last few months, but you carry around kind of the sorrow of this. You live in a world that's a, an incredible mix. There are things that are so joyful. There's, there are times that our mouths are just filled with laughter. And we're so grateful for the joy and the kindness that we live in. And there are times where, man, it is just so sad. And this has been, for us, one of those weeks where it's like, man, enough is enough. And so what we want to do, you know, we, we take time every week after the sermon to pray together, to confess our sins. But we want to do something a little bit different this morning and invite you to come down forward. You can come down here to the curved rails. And if it's like the first service, we might spill out into the straight rails. But if you find the weight of this broken world right now, if you're feeling it in a particular way, like I know many of us are, we want to invite you to come down. And I don't, I don't mean to limit it to those that are like in the first circle of orbit around those that are grieving, right? Um, you might be second or third or fourth orbit around that, but come, come forward. If, you are, if you're like, man, this is so much of this and there's so much sorrow in the world, we want to have a time where you can come down, you can pray, and then... We're going to give you guys like a 30-second head start, and then after they get a chance to come down to the rail, I would invite the rest of you that see your friends up here to come and lay hands on them and pray for them. We just want to meet the Lord in this. We know 1 Thess 4 talks about that we don't want to grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope, but that doesn't mean that we don't grieve, right? It just means that we grieve with hope rather than grieving without hope, which is better by far. 
But so I invite you, in fact, you can begin to make your way down. Those of you that are like, man, there's just so much, come. And let us pray for you. Let us be with you, especially if some, any of these current griefs reminding you of past griefs. If, the, if you struggle to know, like, Lord, like how long until you restore all things? And again, as your friends come down, come behind them. And let's touch those that we love that are feeling the weight of this. I'm the only guy with a mic, so I'm going to pray out loud in a couple minutes. But I'd invite you to pray here, gather around these dear ones and this loss, these many losses.